Well, Scripture contains all kinds of truth, and it comes to us expressed in different ways. Sometimes there are warnings and rebukes. Sometimes there are exhortations. Sometimes some very, very great encouragements. Surely this letter that Paul wrote to this company of believers, this uh, gathered church there in Ephesus, in modern-day Turkey, that this letter conveyed to them and was always intended to convey beyond them to us some very, very great encouragements. And the title tonight of the sermon is Such a Great Contrast, looking at Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. And the contrast is actually established there for us to encourage us. It was meant to encourage the believers there in Ephesus, and it was, in a sense, preparing for the further things that Paul is going to say about Gentiles and Jews. That all are in the same boat, started off in the same place, and are now in the same place if they're believers. And there's no distinction. He's going to make that very, very clear that we all belong. And the reason we do is all down to God. There is the one who's made all the difference and has done it irrespective of where you begin in life, whether there in the terms of those days, two great divides, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, matters not in the end. And Paul establishes a contrast. Both start in the same place, but both end up in a completely different place because of the work of God. That is a huge encouragement. And doing it all where we see that there are great spiritual truths. We've seen plenty of them already, haven't we, in chapter one. And the pace at which they come at us, these truths, doesn't slacken off as we come into chapter two. And as Paul has set out the big picture and located us as believers and people in local churches into that that bigger picture and shown beyond it and prayed very deliberately, explicitly for the people that they may get the big picture and grasp that it takes us well beyond the here and the now and that there is power that is available to the Lord's people to go on through the here and the now to get to this future hope and glory which is the the ultimate destination, the ultimate end for what uh, God is doing and intended to do through what Christ did on the cross. In it all, and and in this passage we've just read, which we could, I'm sure, preach hundreds of sermons, if you will, on on this. So we're going to move move really quite rapidly through it and just draw upon the, 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 the sense of this great contrast. But you will see... Uh, particularly in the, the verse four and onwards, that the words are just loaded there with the love of God. Uh, it's spoken of, the love of God, verse four. Uh, his mercy, verse four. Uh, grace, verse seven to eight. Kindness, in verse seven. And the words there, well, slightly different meaning, but they, they all kind of gather together and uh, help to explain each other, give a, a certain aspect, but all of it is showing us the goodness of God. And that comes through, and everywhere it comes through, everything. Everything that happens for us as Christians, for us as believers, 
everything that has happened, everything that will happen, is all of us against the backdrop of the great love of God, the great mercy of God, the great grace of God. You can interchange the terms and enjoy each uh, kind of slight nuance that each term has, but each of them speaks to us of, of great mercy, great kindness. And this comes to us, not in a kind of small measure as if um, this this is uh, too good, the, these things will spoil us. And, uh, you know, if you, you drink too much of this, this rich kind of potion, it uh, will surely spoil you, it will ruin you, it will make you go off beam here. You need to be kept down a bit. But no, no, in fact, Paul doesn't sort of just sort of give it out in, in little doses, but it's great to, overwhelming amounts of, of this are just piled in upon us and upon his his readers. And as I say, we keep mentioning, don't we, he's not writing this, uh, sitting in great comfort somewhere and where just the surroundings speak to him of, of love and, and kindness and mercy and grace. He's in a prison cell. And I imagine some of the guards are not particularly pleasant. Some of them have actually been converted. Uh, so it's like mixture. But uh, the environment is not one that, that automatically uh, kind of speaks to you of kindness or speaks to you of, of mercy. And uh, knowing that Caesar is there and thereabouts going to deliberate on your case, well, you couldn't exactly rely upon him to deliver perfect justice. So there was Paul. But undaunted by his circumstances, he saw beyond the prison walls and the gates and the guards and the chains and everything. Saw beyond all of that and some of the unpleasant people that were in the prison besides and could see the great big picture and behind all of that, the love of God. Well, then the first heading, once upon a time, once upon a time where we see in verse two, this is which you once walked, the, the, the past, the past tense. Not that Paul is going to dwell on it long. Uh, he's going to give us three compressed verses, packed actually with detail. We can't do it justice, but packed with detail of a, a statements about human nature outside of God, what it is, human life pared down to its essentials, but what it looks like, what it is when you haven't been converted. And he's saying to them, that's, that's where you were. Writing here and with view, when he talks about you, he perhaps has the, the Gentiles there and look down at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you wants Gentiles in the flesh. But he's not going to sort of leave the Gentiles as feeling that they were the most awful of awful people because he's going to include his own background people, Jewish people in the same thing. So in verse three, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. The Apostle Paul is not saying, well, there we are, you, you poor things. That was your lot. We were in a slightly better place than you. In some sense, they were. But when it came down to the essentials, not at all. Same story. And that is where all began once upon a time. Jews, Gentiles, the same. And of each, they were by nature. This is something that, that followed as light follows day, that what they attracted to themselves in the eyes of God, what it required of God was his wrath. It required that. It didn't sort of require and demand his love. That if you looked at all of these people, they, they just demanded really his wrath. 
for their disobedience, for their sinfulness, for their attitudes, for everything that they denied God, that they refused to give to God. And the verdict is that they were children of wrath. And Paul is saying, and we, we were by nature Jewish people. We, we had all the things we had. We had the law. We had covenants and the promises and the worship and the tabernacle and the temple, the prophets, all of those things, the covenants. We had it. And yet we didn't listen and we could not rise to those things because we were just as the others, just as the others, just as the Gentiles. And we were in the same boat. That is where we were. That's how bad it was. <laughs> and in these three verses, he, he's, he's really, in a way, piling it on there. This is how bad it was. And we have to hit that. We have to realize that. That's how bad it was pre-conversion before we are Christians tonight. That, that this is how bad it is. That the descriptions there are not at all flattering to humankind. They aren't meant to be. They can't be because we are seeing here. This is the, the verdict of God and how we stand before Him. And we, we do surely completely underestimate what sin is in the eyes of God. We underestimate just what it's done to us, what it did to us before we were converted. Well, sadly, it still does to us as converted people. And therefore, we cannot make of conversion a small thing and say, well, there we are. And so, so many places and churches, you just wave you through. You just have to, I don't know, in some places speak in tongues, you wave through or make some kind of vague affirmation of faith and you're waved, waved in as, as if it's no big deal, this. And it's basically saying, well, sin's no big deal, actually. Um, it's an easy, easy route out. Um, and, and there you are. You're in home and dry and that's nice. And, and then it's wonder why those people never seem to change, why they never seem to produce anything, why, why they never understand anything. And so... Well, it may be because they missed something here. They didn't realize what actually God's view of them is and what therefore is the view that we have to share about ourselves as part of the whole work of God to bring us to repentance. So Paul doesn't dwell on this at length. He thinks in other places about his past and looked at that on occasion and kind of lists the his accomplishments and then demolishes those accomplishments as being as, as rubbish. But it is pointing out to us that it's good to recollect actually what, what was. It's good just to remember where we were, what was the situation that we were in and to shudder <laughs> to realize just what a bad place it was that we were in. And Paul is, is demonstrating the, the awfulness of it. Um, because he's going to make a great contrast uh, in in a moment. And it's not as if uh, he's dredging up sort of details. You notice when he gives his own testimony, he, he doesn't spare himself. The people that died at his hand, he, he owns it and confesses it. But he's not going to go in all, into all of the details of it. He'll mention it, what needs to be mentioned. And having mentioned it, he moves on from it. It's not dwell there, he would say. So we're not to be morbid or uh, kind of somehow fascinated by by sin, our own or that of, of others. And Paul is here giving us an outline, but an outline that is full of significance. 
And the word that comes to us there, it springs off the page to us, is that you were dead. You, 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 you were dead. Uh, you were living, breathing. Uh, you were thinking. You did a lot of thinking before you were a Christian. You may have done a lot of living and some amazing things as a non-Christian. But actually, when it came to the things that count in the eyes of God, dead. <laughs> dead. And dead in something. It is as though you were in a, a kind of environment that just choked and suffocated and, and just kept you in a state of, of death. And that was the state of being in trespasses and sins. And into this, God acts. That, that's the but of verse four, that there is this making alive. There's part of the contrast, isn't it? And it's a pretty big contrast. You can't really produce more of a contrast between something that's dead and that's then alive. That that is a huge contrast. And that is the contrast that he is making here, the reality of human nature. It's dead. In the eyes of God, there's nothing there. There is nothing that draws him, nothing that makes him sort of sit up and take notice of us. All he finds in us in the final analysis before we are converted are our sins and our trespasses, that's what he sees. And those things render us in his eyes as, as dead, that we are not those that he is he's sort of drawn to and, and relates to in that way. But that is where we need him to act. He has to do something to the dead. He has to quicken them. He has to make them alive, which he does in his own way and according to his purposes. And it, it really did need something. Because if his justice spoke of us as dead in trespasses and sins, uh, as, as inert, as disabled, as, as utterly beyond in and of ourselves, uh, any kind of response to him, then he would have to bring the response into us and would have to put within us the life that could then relate to him. And this is all part of what God in his great mercy undertakes for us, when it speaks of uh, of trespasses, well, they would think of specific breaking of the law, particular commandments broken, various ways in which we crossed lines, various ways in which boundaries that God had spoken of, just somewhere within our consciences, where we've crossed over those. And sins, well, that speaks of us falling short of the mark. If you fire something at a target, the arrow doesn't reach, it falls short of the mark. And well, that's, that's where we are. That, that's what we accomplish in our deadness. That's as best that deadness can do. It can not reach the mark. It can't produce the nature of life that would satisfy God, that would not attract his wrath, but would attract his blessing. And so there is his declaration uh, of, of us and the, the evidence of that, that deadness. Well, it, may be somewhat disguised by energy, zeal of whatever kind, may even be uh, fostered within the life of something called a church, maybe plenty of goings on and happenings. But if the people are not actually made alive in Christ, then whatever it is that's happening is essentially dead. It's not relating to God. It can't relate to God because it is not in the end glorifying to God. It's bogged down in its own deadness, 
It's unable to rise above its own nature. And therefore, you might uh, describe it in that way that there we are, unresponsive, drowning, suffocating in our sins, no way in which we can sort of break the cycle. And of course, what's described here and our, our walk, that is our sort of way of life and according to the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, we couldn't do anything about any of it. We were trapped in it and had no kind of inner resources, no resolves, no will that we could bring, no, no desire to change this and no how to change this. It simply was not there. It, it, we were unresponsive. We were um, not even on a life support. It needed more than a kiss of life to us. It needed something to be done to something that was already dead. Uh, and so this is really quite remarkable what God should do. And we couldn't see, couldn't see it. And that, that's so much the tragedy of sin. It's so, so deceitful. You can't see how bad it is. You, you, you excuse yourself. You, you always have pride kind of coming in and, and saying, no, that won't do. I can't hear that about myself. I won't, won't believe that. And it, and it tries to drown out what God is bringing through to us. We can't see our best interests. We can't make ourselves alive. We need divine input and life. And as Paul describes what deadness looks like, what, what it's sort of <laughs> this living death that is pre-conversion. Well, it is this way of life, this walk. It is the, the general habit, the, the overall purpose of what we are doing. And in the end, Paul sums it up by saying, well, it, it's the course of this world. And he's, he's not complimenting this world. He's not thinking of this world in a, in a happy way. He's thinking of this world as something opposed to God, as, as having within it uh, its whole philosophies and its aims and its ambitions, what it's, what it hungers for, what its big, big values are. They're against God. They may bring God in at places, but he's subsidiary, sort of down second, third, fourth place in the list. He's not at the front and top of the list. It's, it's other things that are working, what the world approves of. And within that, well, we have to say, as we said this morning, actually, to the children, that the devil's at work. The devil's at work. That's the prince of the power of the air. It's as though the, the sort of air around us is not a sort of neutral environment. This the sort of the, the ether carries ideas and suggestions and temptations and they, they find us in the, out of the clear blue sky. And that's the devil's work. He, he's, he's operating in, in that environment, putting out philosophies, putting out false religions, sending messengers with their messages to try to destroy and defeat the purposes of God. And so we find very infectious ideas. Uh, I don't think COVID-19 and this is much, much worse than this. The ideas, they kill the soul. They destroy the spiritual life. They keep us in deadness. And that is what the devil would have us do. Mention the world with its bad ideas and its bad aims. And where does the world begin and the devil end? Well, there's a good question. They, they kind of intertwine in that way. And beyond that, well, we look in our hearts as not as if we can blame our environment. We blame the world for this. We blame the devil for this because we have to then look inside ourselves. And what do we find? Our flesh. 
verse 3. This is our flesh. We, we live out all that we live out in this wider context where the devil's at work and there's the world pumping out bad ideas. But, well, all of this kind of comes together because of our own desires. We, we, we kind of like this stuff. We kind of fall in quite happily with what the devil is, is showing us. And we, we're quite satisfied, actually, with the world because it appeals. Because, of course, what is the world but the, the summing up of a lot of other people and the lusts of their, their flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind and putting those ideas out there. And, of course, because they're the products of sinful minds, they appeal to other sinful minds and they catch on there because there is happening within the heart an ongoing rebellion. Our lower nature, lust of the flesh, that's the, the base of things, the, the ugly, ugly things, adultery and uncleanness and immorality and jealousy, anger, violence, cruelty. Think of all those things. And then, well, not only the desires of the flesh, but of the mind. The mind is a working phenomenon there. Clever, clever stuff it comes up with. But in the final analysis, that, that too is, is, is its own, its own lust, its own clever sins and philosophical sins and intellectual sins, but sins nonetheless. And for all the intellects and for all of that, they often just resolve down some pretty sordid and basic things in the end. So a lot of clever thinking, a lot of clever words, but it's all just the same old, same old sin, righteousness, immorality, sex, whatever the usual, usual things are. And what they attract is the wrath of God, that they all break his commandments, affront his great character, his dignity, his honor, are an injury to the world that he has made, indeed to the wider cosmos. And therefore, that is the reaction. Second heading, but now. So having painted, well, a very negative picture indeed, uh, and having stated it as it is and described it as it is and painted it there in unflattering colours, but getting down to the nub of it, but then. And you'll notice that there is God's name. Not mentioned at all in verses 1 to 3. This is the world getting on without him. Well, now this is what happens when he works and when he quickens. The words are supplied in verse 1, you he made alive. Uh, that's, that's the implication of what Paul is saying. And we, we get this uh, very clearly as he then goes on to describe what God then does. It's as bad as that. We had nothing. We had that God, we had that hope in the world. We had Nothing that we could do, that we could bring to it, nothing that we, we could add to this to sort of help ourselves out of this. It was dead. And we were just the walking dead. There was nothing happening there. What was in our hearts, what was in the world, what was in the devil, all of it was just sort of working to produce in us disobedience and the trap, therefore, the wrath of God. But then. And if the contrast, well, the first established facts about us are very negative, then the next established facts are very, very positive. And there are more verses to be spent on those than are to be spent on the other things. And Paul is very, very eager for them to know just how great a work has been done for them, just how stupendous 
life transforming, how altering of the entire place and status of those individuals who have believed that are now seen in the eyes of God. And in, in this, there, there is deep mystery, isn't there, dear friends? There is deep, deep mystery because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. You mean then that though justice and we were just as the others were children of wrath? Yes. Oh, yes, yes. But then do you mean also that God had love for those people and would quicken those people? Yes, that's what it's teaching also here. (laughs) Who can comprehend that in the the purposes and in the mind and in the the sequencing of things and the the great uh, plan of God? But that's what he does. And it has to be like that because there was nothing we could do about it. We were, we were there. And if God didn't do something himself toward us, do something in us, to us, through us, then we would still be in verses one to three. And uh, we might go to church, but it would make little difference to the people we were because we would still be going home and basically for the rest of the time living out verses one to three. And we, we might look very respectable in doing it, but that is still the essential verdict of God upon it it needed god to do something and he makes all all the difference so if god is not mentioned in the first three verses he is everywhere in the next verses taking us up to the end of verse 10 this is what he does and what does he do well there's everything that he does and it just adds one thing to another to another to another and just follows a logical sequence and takes us to Great things, final things. But we can see that that he is making us alive, made us alive. He, he, he quickened. He, he regenerated. He, he took something that was dead, even though we were smiling and laughing, getting on with life and probably thinking we're doing absolutely fine until God began to work in us and, and to be pouring out his spirit upon us. And then we saw we weren't so fine. And we began to desire salvation. And uh, all of this came from him. This is making us alive. This is a quickening. This is breathing life that isn't there into people, individuals, people. And then they see things differently. And they are different, actually. They've got new nature. And that comes in towards the end of this, this particular passage. And things then are on a totally, totally different course. It's, uh, it's putting it slightly differently as in, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and and in verse 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It says it was God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. That's what we lived in. We lived in darkness. We had no clue. We were hopelessly, helplessly fumbling around. Light shone. And where did it shone it into our hearts? And where did he give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? And if he hadn't have commanded it, if he hadn't have said, let this happen, let there be light, then there would have been no light any more than there would have been a creation. So he does that. He, he quickens. And part of that quickening is that we, we die to ourselves. We, we, we see the wreckage and the need that we have of forgiveness and we are made willing to repent and we are made willing to, to trust in Jesus Christ. We've, we're seeing the glory of God now 
in the face of Jesus Christ. We see his centrality and we know that we have no hope outside of him. We trust in him. And then it, it goes on because if he has made us alive, then he raises us up together with him. We, we are raised up in him. This is the, the new life now that we are living it. And the new life is patterned on, on him, on his resurrection that has happened to him. So happens to us in, in, in a large measure. And we ourselves then are brought out of our death, brought out of the tomb of sin, brought out of the grave that our trespasses have left us in, in the sight of God. And we rise up to newness of life. So Romans chapter six, just to read a few verses from there, verses uh, four and following. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him. The body of sin might be done away with, but we should no longer be slaves of sin. And really, that's going to be developed um, elsewhere within this letter, including the last couple of verses. So we're raised up. We, we now are functioning, living people. We've, we now have got a new purpose in life. We're now seeing the world differently, seeing God differently, seeing Christ differently, ourselves differently, other people differently. And we're now in a position to begin to serve God in that. And within that too, there's the future hope that we're not thinking, well, this is great for this life, but is, is that it? No, there's more, there's more to come. And there's, there's glory to come. Christ's resurrection, this new body. Well, didn't believe and suddenly have a, a new body. It's probably still got the same health conditions that you might have had before you were converted or the same height and uh, same spots and blemishes, whatever else that you've got and I've got. No, that didn't change, but it will all change one day. And there's a, the hope of glory to come. Yeah, we're raised up uh, to that, to so this newness of life. Oh, and it was more because not only that, but he's made us. Notice the language there. He's made us. <laughs> you know, as if to say, you sit here. You, you, you don't sort of just go in and sort of choose the, the seat for yourself. You can come here for an evening service. You've got any number of places uh, you could choose to sit there. And nobody has to come up and say, we're so full. You've got to just sit here. But he, he, he makes us to sit here. You, you sit here. And he's not barking an order. In that, he is sort of deliberately placing us, why, in some way quite remarkable, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And when we're not sort of sitting on our own as, as yes, well, going to Royal Derby Hospital there with, with Andrew on Thursday, sort of sat in the, the kind of entrance lobby area. And um, oh, the chairs are all sort of still spread out there, and one chair here in splendid isolation, and then You've got another chair over there and you just need a pair of binoculars to see the other person. You know, it's still kind of like that. Well, we're seated, seated together with him. <laughs> we're, we're like side by side with him. Because, of course, he rose from the dead and then went into glory. So he's now in heaven. He's reigning, ruling there. And Paul's already talked to us about that and what his titles now are and 
what he is doing and how he's acting on behalf of the church, ruling over all things. That's what he's doing. And, and we, we are there with him. In the sight of God, we are there with him. Well, sure, we say one day we, we sure will be there with him. We will, we will be in glory. No great promises about what we will be doing with him in glory. I might read a few of them in just a moment there. But in a sense, we are already seen as being there. So when we're sitting at home or sitting here in church, we're actually in the eyes of God, we're already sitting there as though the whole thing is completed because in the end it is all of God and he will guarantee the end as he guarantees the beginning and guaranteed the one from eternity past and guarantees the other into eternity future, undertakes for it all. It's all but God. There is his rich in mercy and then all that follows is aspects of his mercy, quickening, uh, raising us up and then placing us in a situation that is just beyond the reach of the, the prince of the power of the air that, that has no uh, no uh, kind of contact point with the world, absolutely safe, absolutely secure, and a position of extraordinary authority and extraordinary privilege that we should be anywhere near him, that we should be seated anywhere in the heavenly places together with him, that we might think, well, I'd just be satisfied to be sort of sitting out in the foyer there, you know, Mind a bit of the cold air blowing, I'll be fine with that. No, he says you're seated with him. You're beside him. And you're sharing with him how that works with millions of people, seated together with him. Within the purposes of God, uh, that is not too great a problem for him to solve there, I'm sure. That is that is what now is. So it's going to be in a fuller sense and the kind of most visible sense, but it's it's as, it's as good as accomplished now. More happy, but not more secure. The glorified spirits in heaven. So the top ladies hymn says it, and it says it pretty well, I think, there. That so we're as secure in that position that we will have today as, as, as we will be. Come what may, come devil, come lust of the flesh fighting at us, come the world with all its worst that it can do, but it won't make any difference, not as we read it here in the Bible, because it's already as good as done. We're already seen as glorified in God's eternal purposes and seeing the, the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, then it's, it's already done and we're already there. We're already in heaven and we're seated with him and that we're meant to think. And Paul is sitting in his prison cell thinking, I'm seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're, you're at work tomorrow. You may not be sitting, you may be standing or you may be about your other occupations there at home sorting out the washing for the week or uh, getting on with something there. Well, we were seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, actually. And uh, you know, at the computer screen or in the car or wherever you might be, or just there sat in the kitchen. And uh, that, that's actually in God's eyes and in the final analysis and where it really counts, just as what really counted before was that we were bound up in the world and tools of Satan and just the having the lusts of our desires there, crushing really any better and uh, spiritual hopes we might have had. Well, now it's completely opposite, great contrast. Uh, and now we are seen as there, beyond the reach of harm, outside of all of these evil agencies, and we are safe. Revelation uh, has uh, some promises there to the churches, which kind of carry this through and 
take us to the final the final points so revelation chapter two and this was spoken to the church of thyatira that wasn't doing brilliantly at all but it says this and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him i will give power over the nations he shall rule them with a rod of iron they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as i also have received from my father ruling and reigning that's part of what he's doing as he's seated well we read this here apparently that's what we will be doing when we are finally seated there and revelation chapter 3 verse 21 again spoken to the church that wasn't doing well the one that laodicea but at the end of the the things our lord says to them he says to him who overcomes i will grant to sit with me on my throne as i also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne you're going to sit with me on my throne well you know i guess probably there if you and i were given an invitation to sit with king charles for a couple of hours or something i I dare so we might we might say count me in uh got some things to say i have count me in and uh we might count that quite a quite a moment there you are look on the doormat tomorrow and the post comes and they're not on strike and there it'll be the invitation i'm on my way for that you'll say well i've got something better for you here on the authority of god's word you're actually going to sit i'm going to sit with him on his throne i know and this is as good as done as we read in ephesians chapter two but there is more that in the great plan of god what he's doing for us the good he's doing in us is, is actually there to have an impact on other people other people are going to read in us the exceeding riches of his grace because what we have received will commend god to them that mercy that we've received we can encourage them seek mercy also mystery of god's election don't ask me how it all works out in that but we can commend that mercy of god that grace of god that kindness of god because they can see something's happened here and that something commends god it tells us how wonderful he is that he saves sinners and gives them then this we say amen that is that is what he does and these are exceeding riches paul is ever using languages there isn't he that is is going beyond we've seen it in the first chapter and verse 19 for instance there the exceeding greatness of his power well here it is the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in christ jesus you can do the number count for yourself in these verses, verses four to ten, just how many times he mentions Christ Jesus. It's everywhere, or, or him, a shorthand for Christ Jesus. Everything is down to him. It's due to him, his power, his life, his, his throne above, him doing what he's, he's doing. And well, we're told in my final heading, got to be brief. Look at the time indeed. Living by the new nature, living by the new nature. That this, this quickening, this, this raising isn't simply something that therefore we, we, we just pass through this world and all these things are true and we, we hear about them on Sundays perhaps and we, we sing about them in our hymn books perhaps. But we live then out of that new nature for this that we have been given, this, this salvation by grace. And it's not something we worked out. Faith isn't something that, uh, grows naturally within our hearts, all the gift of, of God. We're not uh, anywhere here, any boasting. Now we say this, we have been 
brought from a walk previously where we walked according to the course of this world. Now we're going to walk in the good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Different direction now, different goings on. This is under totally, totally new management, aims, purposes, where we're looking towards who we're wanting to please in all of this, what our heart's desires are in all of this. This has changed. And this is, again, this is all the gift of God. We're his workmanship. Do you see this? What all this is saying, we are his workmanship, made alive. That, that was his workmanship and raised up with him. And that's, that was his workmanship. And this being put in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, well, that, that's him. That, that's his work has brought us that on the cross. They brought us that. Um, this, this gift of faith we have, well, that, that, that's his work as well, actually. That's, this is power, supernatural, Holy Spirit, working on dead people, makes them alive, miracle. Yes, that, that's his workmanship. And the workmanship isn't then just to give us something wonderful just to talk about and think about. It gives us something wonderful to live, live out, and live out according to what we have received in this great contrast. We received this new nature. Now, his workmanship is all the above, all that we were, the course of this world, prince of the power of the air, the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind now cancelled. The power of those things now are actually cancelled. We, we can live now differently because of the Holy Spirit's help, because of what we have in Christ. And so now there is a new creation. New things can be created. The old nature is creating bad things, but the new nature creates good things, good works. And some of those works may be very similar to the works that you did in your work before. That you, you get up at the same time, you switch on your computer, and you're doing this, so you get your toolbox out, and, you know, because you're a Christian, plugs don't suddenly change, they need a lot of work, and they don't always happen quite as you want them there. And you get on with that. But there's something different, because you are different. And you now have a background, a surrounding that is the love of God and his mercy. There, there is something different about your world and mine. And it's all because of his love. And that's the backdrop to it. And work can be very frustrating. Thorns and thistles still grow and perspire. And, and all these things are so. And we can't offer to our young friend here that childbirth is just going to be a breeze. There still will be uh, pains and, and difficulties like that. But we approach everything now with hope and expectation in God, faith in him. We have him in view in everything that we do, his glory now becomes something important to us to honor him. That is now really important to us. We want the people to think well of him and not find something in us that makes them not think well of him. And we meet with help from heaven, kindness and grace and mercy that didn't just convert us, but now helps us live in the new nature and do the things that we now do differently to think differently, speak differently, react differently. We often talk about that. That's that's now how it is. So, yes, we still have to uh, do what we do and comply with regulations and uh, uh, obey the laws of the land and um, have to do things there and cook things by the recipe and leave them in the oven for whatever length of time it says. Yes, yes, nothing in that way has has changed. But everything in which we think about it, how we approach it, What's, what it's all part of, 
that has changed. And that's because we are now his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Paul is going to go on in more detail to describe what that kind of life will look like, what it won't look like. So things that look more like they belong in verses 1 to 3 of Ephesians 2, he's going to say, no, not. But those things which show that God is at work in us, that that great contrast is coming through in the people that we are. Paul is going to say yes, yes and yes to, to those things there. So such a great contrast. Well, I've talked at length, uh, but I could have gone on talking. So there's just so much really in this passage that we could look at. But I'm sure to your relief, I will stop there and we will sing now our final hymn, which uh, in our hymn books is number 491, Arise, My Soul, My Joyful Powers, 491. <laughs>